Happy Sabbath, everyone. Good to see so many of you out tonight. Um, I kind of last minute, I changed this a little bit. Uh, tonight, I'm going to go through kind of one of the talks I do that kind of set the stage for what I'll do tomorrow afternoon. I do these talks all over the country um, on music, and specifically the music that I try to address is um, hip-hop music. I actually deal with a lot of reggae music as well. Um, only mainly because those are the two forms of music I'm most familiar with from my past. Um, but you can kind of extrapolate a lot of these messages into many forms of modern music. Um, I kind of need to give you a few um, kind of uh, uh, statements, uh, qualifying statements before I start. One of them is I'm not, and I, I do not consider myself to be a fanatic when it comes to music or no music. Um, I've learned that God doesn't really function um, in fanaticism, and Spirit of Prophecy really, I think, backs me up on that. But I do believe that anything we use, especially when we call it worship, we must be very careful that it is used actually to worship, because the devil is really, really, really slick in the area of transforming worship into self-worship. And that's one of the big problems that, you, that I see. So oftentimes I tell people, people say, you know, they have a drum in that church and they'll march out of the church. And I say, you know, I'm not as concerned about the drum as I am the spirit with which they do their services. Because you could be very quiet and only have a piano and a violin. But if you're arrogant and prideful and showman, and it's a lot of showmanship and you're show, showing off your talents and your skills, I don't really see any difference between that and if they, you know, they're playing James Brown funky drummer on the drums. Um, the spirit with which things are done is important. Um, that's what got Satan in trouble in heaven. Ironically, Satan actually was doing the right things a lot of the times. He was just doing them for the wrong reasons. And he was able to draw attention to himself and change the worship of God. And he began to believe people were worshiping him. We'll, we'll deal more with that a little bit later on. I say, so I qualify myself with that because I don't want you, I don't tell people, I'm not one of those types of people when it comes to these issues to tell you what to do. I believe that once you read the evidence, the scriptures and especially the, the scriptures combined with the spirit of prophecy are very clear. So I can tell you that I no longer listen to hip hop music. I no longer listen to reggae music. And I'm very careful with what Christian music I listen to uh, because I've learned that it's easy. The devil is a master of music. So I'm not actually, this talk actually includes some stuff on television um, because it's an older version, but I want to use this older version because you are probably primarily health, um, medical, dental, students, residents. So some of this stuff might actually be of interest to you on a kind of on another level. Uh, the talk I'm going to do tomorrow night is a lot more edgy. Uh, tomorrow afternoon, it's going to have a lot more images of modern stars and actually going to show you some of the lyrics. And I realize that you guys probably don't listen to Jackie O and Jay-Z and those people. But I think you're going to come across patients who do. And you're going to live, you live in a world where many and most people do. And so hopefully it'll give you a bridge to be able to reach people and um, when it, that do listen to this music without coming across uh, too judgmental or too ignorant. Because then a lot of times people just shut down and don't want to hear anything else you have to say. So tomorrow night we'll do that more edgy, racy talk. Um, and you'll see it really is edgy and racy. I have to, I actually have to block out parts of some of the songs. The lyrics are so uh, incredibly provocative and so, so we're actually so just, just, just rude. Um, see, it's old. It still has sound on it. 
Um, wow, I haven't done this in a long time. I stopped doing that for my own sake. Um, well, actually, you know what? Let me let us all suffer it all through at one time. I promise there's probably only one more slide that does anything like that. Um, I make these three points because a lot of times when I'm doing these talks, I'm doing them at local churches. Um, some of them are suburban, affluent churches. Many of them are churches in the heart of the city in some of the roughest parts of the country. And so I do the talk, and one of the things I, I like to set up is that we truly are still in the midst of a technological revolution. I was reading an article on Bluetooth and the fact that now cars are going to begin to come so that your cell phone by Bluetooth hooks into your car system and so that when you look in your rearview mirror if someone's calling, the person's name and phone number will appear in your rearview mirror by Bluetooth. Now just 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that would be Star Trek science fiction. Definitely 25 years ago. In the 80s when I was growing up, I mean, the cell phones were like VCRs, you know, they were these giant white things with long black antennas, like dragging them. What's up, man? You know, um, but now, you know, they got phones so small, you can hide it in your sleeve. So te technology is advancing. I believe one of the texts that fits that, I don't think, I don't know if I have the, that text on this one, is in, found in Revelation chapter 12. At the end of the chapter, uh, John the Revelator says something very powerful. He says that the dragon opened his mouth. And out of the mouth of the dragon came a flood. And there are a lot of ways that, that, that that's probably interpreted. I, one of the things I see that as saying is that the dragon, when he, in the last days when the dragon speaks, he will speak with great volume. He will be able to pass a lot of information through at one time. And you're going to see that the devil has the ability to send messages and, and information now like he never had before. I tell parents all the time, a hundred years ago, if the devil wanted to get into your house, you had to open the door. Today, the devil can get into your house through high speed, telephone, wireless internet, cell phone, pager, two-way, sidekick. There's so many intangible ways for him to get to your child without you having any idea he's getting there. And you see this, Dateline NBC runs these specials on these internet predators. And, you know, they capture these guys, and a lot of them are men of... The cloth, rabbis, preachers, priests, teachers, youth workers, caught because now these predators can go into your house and try and get at your child without you even know. Your child can be upstairs being, a, being approached and, 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 and encouraged by a predator while you're downstairs preparing dinner. A hundred years ago, that was impossible. So we live in a different age. This is biblical the Bible says in the last days, knowledge would increase. Daniel tells us that. Knowledge has so rapidly increased that we are doing things that, that would just, your imagination, just 20 years ago, you couldn't even have imagined what we're doing today. So the children are, are being influenced by these new and evolving sources, things like video games. Video game, when I was a kid, the first video game I saw had a bar on this side, a bar on this side, this little dot, doop, 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 bounced around. And we thought it was just like the coolest thing ever invented. And today, I can't even figure out how you use the joystick for the new video games. I have no idea, just all the buttons. Quickly, things change. And I think the biggest thing, especially inside of the church and inside of Adventism, is that parents and even youth workers often are unprepared for what's going on. They, they, you know, I, I see a lot of parents who their kids get online for them. The child has to load the computer up, get online, send emails for them. 
Even still, when you figure out it's been enough time now, parents still don't know how to do that. Parents still don't know how to use PowerPoint. They still don't know how to use Excel. Kids are using Excel. Kids, that, and their parents can't do it. So parents are at a disadvantage. And the devil will work this to his advantage as a way of getting to the children without the parent being able to defend or protect the child. So I talked to a lot of um, parents about that and you know, becoming computer savvy being important. And you, all of the things that we've seen, we've seen this uh, recent scandal with a, um, a senator. All of these things show you the power of being able to communicate with someone when you'd never have to see them or hear them. Oh, sorry, one more sound. All right. Here's a quote. We are living in the midst of an epidemic of crime at which thoughtful, God-fearing men everywhere stand aghast. The corruption that prevails, it is beyond the pen to describe. Every day brings fresh revelations of political strife, bribery, and fraud. Every day brings its heart-sickening record of violence and lawlessness, of indifference to human suffering, of brutal, fiendish destruction of human life. Every day testifies to the increase of insanity, murder, and suicide. Who can doubt that satanic agencies are at work among men with increasing activity to distract and corrupt the mind and defile and destroy the body? And that is from the book Councils on Health, page 25. It would be almost as if Sister White was right, right, re, wrote this after she read USA Today. I mean, it's, it applies that well to modern times. Every single day that makes this testimony. I'll give you an example. When I logged on to AOL this morning to check my emails, the front page cover, I don't read newspapers anymore, I get all my news mainly through AOL, honestly. The front page cover, that's where I first see it, was that the head of the National Association of Evangelicals was caught in a gay scandal. Now, I don't know if your man's guilty, innocent. I'm not trying to make that judgment. I'm only saying the scandal hit, he resigned today. Every single day you turn on the television, something else happens and like, oh. Or you, or, you, or you read the newspaper, it's like, man, what is going on? Ellen White says that there are two things that the devil is trying to do, and I underlined them. He's trying to distract and corrupt the mind. First and foremost, he wants to mess with the mind. Why? The mind is the seat of intelligence. It is where we interact and interface with God. If he can corrupt the mind, the Bible says that the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are not sober, you cannot reason with God, as we're going to talk about a little later on. So your mind, and then second, to defile and destroy the body. Why? Because one, it is against God to destroy your body. The Bible says God will destroy those who destroy their bodies. But two, without a healthy body, you can't have a healthy mind. So... Let's talk about the mind a little bit. David says, I'll praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The frontal lobe of the mind is the seat of intelligence. And you all probably know the frontal lobe is the part that sits behind your, 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 your frontal bone here, your forehead bone. That is the seat of intelligence. Um, in the human, it is 33% of the brain. In a dog, it's 7%. In a porpoise or a chimpanzee, which we often consider the smartest of animals, it's only 13%. Humans are different. They didn't evolve different. They are different. We were designed different. By putting that part in, I, I wonder if we had never sinned, if more of our brain wouldn't be or function as frontal lobe. That is the part of the brain that really gives us the ability to reason and to be intelligent. And the thalamus and the hypothalamus are the seat of emotion. When we talk about music, music bypasses the frontal lobe and enters through the thalamus. It doesn't work the way 
that other information comes in. And that's important because that's one of the reasons what we listen, it isn't simply the lyrics of what we listen to, even kind of the melody and the beats do matter because of the way they affect you at a very guttural level. So the frontal lobe allows us to reason, it allows us to worship. Isaiah 1 and 18, uh, the Lord says, come let us reason together. Uh, Though your sins be like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. It speaks to the fact that salvation is an intellectual process. What do I mean? It means you have to choose God. God is a God of choice. That's one of the reasons why I love being a Christian because God gives you the, God gave us the power of choice. So it answers the, the big, one of the big questions of the great controversy. The ability to reason and make choice answers the question, why would God allow this to happen? Katrina hits or, or 9-11 hits and the world says, why would God allow this to happen? Well, because he gave us the power to choose. You don't really have the power to choose if God doesn't allow some of your choices to happen. And one of the beings that he gave the power to choose is Satan. Satan accused God. This all is about the vindication of God's character. So the devil, certain things are allowed to happen because God's character is being vindicated as evil and sin plays itself all the way out. If God stopped terrible tragedies from happening and buffered the effect of sin, he would do the universe a disservice. Amen? Because then there would be people who say, you know what? Sin wasn't all that bad. Rebellion wasn't all that bad. Look, nobody ever died. Nobody got hurt. But every time one of the unfallen angels or someone in one of the unfallen worlds sees something like 9-11 or hears of a catastrophe like Katrina and its aftermath, they say, man, was Satan wrong. Why was he wrong? And as they see him continue to do it and it gets worse as time comes to a close and God has to do what he has to do on earth, there will not be one, un, one, per, one unfallen angel that says, Lord, you're, being, you're dealing too harshly with the wicked who did not choose you. You're, being, you're dealing too harshly with Satan. The power of choice is the big question. It is the monkey wrench of the whole entire universe. And it is a function of love because you cannot love someone who cannot, I mean, you cannot be loved by someone who does not freely choose to love you. It is, it is not love then, right? If you, if man, if you find a woman and you tie her up and throw over your shoulder and drive her back to your apartment, put her in the kitchen, set all the food in front of her, untie her and say, I love you. You have to love me. Cook me a meal, right? Doesn't going to work. That woman is going to cook you a good meal when she, if she chooses to cook you a good meal. You're going to be a good husband if you choose to be a good husband. If it happens any other way, it doesn't work very well, in, at least not in our society and in our time. Love is something you have to choose. So God had to give us a full ability to choose because he wanted us to have the full ability to love. Without that, we would not be able to do so. So if Satan can destroy the ability to reason, he can affect a person's salvation. If he can get you to not be able to, to make wise decisions, if he can, if he can get you to, to your brain to be foggy from marijuana and alcohol, if he can get your brain to not function properly because you're unhealthy, he can affect your ability, or no, I shouldn't say your ability, he can affect your chances at salvation. Because you've got to have a clear mind. The Bible says that over and over and over again. Paul says to take the helmet of salvation. Why is salvation represented as a helmet? The Roman helmet had a piece that sat right here. Paul understood that your mind had to be protected. You couldn't just let anything in. In other words, 
Guard your mind. I'm sorry for the sound. I didn't realize this many. And I didn't realize you'd hear them so well either. Okay. Generation gap. The five biggest influences. This, this was back in the year 2000. They compared a study that looked at the five biggest influences on youth in the 1950s. They found it was parents, school, church, community, and then peers. This is Happy Days and um, I Love Lucy maybe. Maybe I'm 10 years behind there. But in the year 2000 when they did the same kind of study, they found that the number one influence on youth they're friends. Never forget that. In Jamaica, they have a saying, they say, if you lay with dogs, you rise with fleas. When you choose your friends, who you lay down with is often going to determine what you rise up with. Music, television, school. Look where parents went. Parents went from number one to number five in their influence. That's not all the kids' fault. That has a lot to do with parents working long hours, both parents working back in the 50s, Many more women stayed home and raised their children, proportionally. But then we had a women's liberation movement in the 60s, 50s and 60s, and it, women actually were ostracized for staying home with their children. And so the effect and the influence of parents fell. Notice that church and community come off of the top five list altogether. The church is, does not have the influence in, the, in that poll, in that particular poll, let me be more epidemiologically correct. In that particular poll, the church does not have the effect that it, it had 50 years earlier. That's Im important because studies show, and one of the research projects I'm working on right now, or I'm going to begin to work on is a, is a sub-study for the Adventist Health Study. Somebody approached me just yesterday about it, and that is that going to church for African Americans, just regular church attendance and saying that they pray, which is they say that 75% of them said they prayed, those that said they regularly attended church every week and prayed, increase of life expectancy between 7 and 14 years. That's when you correct for almost everything. And so now we're going to do it inside Adventism where naturally it, a lot of things are corrected out. Everybody goes to church on the same day. Pretty much we all don't drink and smoke, most of us. Um, so it corrects out for a lot of that stuff. And so you get the full effect. That's how powerful just... Just, a, just that's not even attending church. That's saying you attend church. Just saying you go to church every week showed a benefit. Now, don't just say you go to church. Go to church. But you get my point. So Jesus, in this, this is one of the most profound texts, I think, one of the most profound statements Jesus makes. In Matthew 18 and 9, he says, If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. That's a scary text in a lot of ways. Vision is complex. Although we collect images with our eyes, we see with our mind. 60% of the neuronal collections in the brain have to do with vision. The eye sends information deep into the mind via the optic nerve. What we see changes our reality. And we have this wonderful saying we always hear, by beholding, we become changed. So, the average 18-year-old in America has already watched 22,000 hours of television. This was back in, by probably about 2000 this was done. This includes 350,000 commercials. Let me ask you this question real quick. What is the real purpose of television? It's sales. Never ever forget that. They, they have a rating system that makes some show pop more popular than the other one because the more popular the show, the more they can ask for advertisement. So when the Super Bowl comes, which we pr pretty much the whole country stops to watch, they can ask for a million dollars every 10, 15 seconds or maybe more than that now. So the purpose of television really isn't to entertain you. 
It's only to entertain you so that you will watch the show so that they can get up their ratings higher so they can charge more money to Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Not, it's not to edify you, not to make you any better for the majority of television. This is more than the total hours that kids will spend in school at 22,000 hours at the top, 12,000 hours by the end of high school. Um, the average American household has the television turned on for 7 hours and 13 minutes per day. With improved satellite and cable access, these numbers are likely to increase. Seven hours and 13 minutes, that's a full-time job right there. Um, actually, when you do it ethnically, if you break it up, Asians watch the least amount of television, whites are in the middle, and blacks watch the most. So when I go into inner cities, I say, if you want to know, know where much of your production has gone, count how many hours you sit in front of the television. And then multiply that by minimum wage. And then multiply that every daily rate by 10 years. And you can see where a lot of your production goes. Television's influence on kids is subtle and reinforced by repetition of images and stereotypes. U.S. adolescents spend 21 to 23 hours per week watching television. Television often replaces homework, play, and reading. Definitely replaces homework. By age 70, these kids will have watched television for the equivalent of 7 to 10 years continually. As if they started today, November 3rd, 2006, and finished in November 3rd, 2016. A lot of television. By 18, the youth have witnessed over 200,000 acts of violence and 25,000 murders. And this is what I say. And I always name a neighborhood and then somebody inevitably is from that neighborhood. So I'll try to not name a neighborhood. Because normally I say Brooklyn, but then somebody from Brooklyn gets mad at me. So... You wouldn't drive your child down into San Bernardino to wherever the, we have a huge violence problem in San Bernardino. 16th Street Church, I was there doing this anti-violence thing, and the pastor told me that while the Pathfinders were outside marching, they watched a drive-by shooting happen. Watched it happen, as the, and then one, the, one car chased the other car, shooting as they went. Drums, Pathfinders, everywhere. They're just hitting the deck all over the parking lot. You don't take your child out into the roughest part of town, sit them on the hood of your car, pop a bag of popcorn, hand them, a, hand them a something to drink, and until you sit there and wait in the neighborhood for somebody to get shot, murdered, mugged, raped, yet we do it to television. You take your child, sit them down, and watch the most violent, gory, murderous, terrible things. Would never do it in real life. But you do it with television. It was the same principle that in, in ancient Rome they did with the Colosseum. The people were supposed to be so, Romans were supposed to be so civilized and so sophisticated. But the devil got them to become very, very low in their appetites by bringing them into the Colosseum and have them watch gladiators who were supposed to be lower than them kill each other. And they basically lost the empire based on the appetite that they developed out of these kinds of entertainments. Imagine now being able to bring the Colosseum into your home. The devil watched as that happened. If you've ever watched um, Roger Minot's, um videos, if you've ever read the book A Trip, into, A Trip into the Supernatural, he has videos where he's interviewed. I mean, the videos really changed my life. I mean, I was able to see so... He, he exposes so much of spiritual warfare, and watching him give it is different than reading him say the story after reading the book. It's, 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 it's another level. But one of the things he, he talks about is that the devil was pleased because he used to worship demons and came out of demon worship. So the priests at these demon worship sessions would tell him all about the devil and the plans the devil had and so forth. But one of the things he says is that the devil was very pleased with technology 
And even before things were invented, the devil had already begun to plan the use of technology to destroy man in the last days. You get the videos and watch them. They're, they're profound. I think they sell them at the ABC bookstore. The average professing Christian spends six times more money on entertainment than on Christian giving. Isn't that incredible? The average Christian of all denominations, six times more money goes to being entertained than we give to our local churches. Children spend more than twice the time with the media than with their parents and teachers combined every year. And the average teenager spend less than one hour a week learning from their father, and I spelled there wrong, sorry, yet spends 40 hours and $30 per week on entertainment. And we now know, if you've ever studied research on something profound, read the literature on the effects of fatherlessness. Read the effects of what happens when a child grows up without a father. You want to know what is plaguing America? Why you see some of the brutal crimes you see? Why gangs in the cities, especially here in Los Angeles, why gangs are so, are so prevalent? It is because the fathers are either dead or in prison or simply just missing. The effects, and, and of course that has spilled into suburbia, it's spilled into Adventism with the higher divorce rates, higher um, premarital sex rates generate um, more unmarried parents. All of that combines, and when you look at it, not having the influence of a godly father is probably the single most destructive thing that could happen to a child. We know that because the last verse of the Old Testament prophetically says that when the spirit of Elijah would come, of Elijah would come, he would cause the hearts of the fathers to be turned to the children and the hearts of the children to be turned to the father. So it's important. So when you look at this and fathers aren't influencing their children, even when the fathers are at home, living at home, they're married, but if, you, if you're so busy working that you don't have time for your children, this, we know that this negatively affects children. The majority of intimate scenes are between unmarried people on television. Soap operas wouldn't be all that interesting if everybody was married. Right? Oh, and soap operas, let me say this, soap operas, I describe soap operas as pornography for women. I stopped saying that because I now know so many men watch it. So it's pornography for the emotional person. That's not visual, they're emotional, or maybe you're both. But pornography, it's a form of pornography. It's a way to fulfill sexual and romantic desires through a foreign person, a foreign substance, images, and so on. So soap operas are one of those things, and that's one of the places you see that. Talk shows work to change opinions. I put this example of homosexuality. When I was growing up, and I grew up in outside of Hartford, Connecticut. When I was growing up, I never saw anybody that I thought was gay. Not that they weren't there. Maybe I didn't know how to recognize them. I don't know. I'd never heard of it. it we used those words as insults at each other, at not understanding that there were people who really were gay. So if somebody said, Dude, you're gay, those are fighting words. Never heard it. I mean, never saw anybody actually be, you know, just not that it didn't exist. We just didn't see it. I remember on the Donahue show, I think it was Donahue, it was, one of, yeah, it was Donahue, one of the old talk shows before Oprah and all of them. He had on a young gay man and his father, and they were from somewhere in the Midwest, they're like cow ranchers, they're like country people. And he brings this family on and the boy comes out of the closet on national television in front of his father. The father goes to wailing on him, calling him names and 
you know, wanting to you know, disown him and all of this. And of course, the audience would raise their hand and say, how could you do this to your own son? And you know, you're at home like, your heart's being tugged. Oh my goodness, how could he do this to his son? And you began to develop this kind of sympathy. And that's what the wedge that the devil began to use. He just slipped in homosexuality. Shows like Three's Company. Jack Tripper pretended to be gay so that he could live with two women. Slowly but surely, the, the concept began to move in until there were gay characters that didn't say they were gay until today. You have whole shows like Will and Grace where the whole theme is around gayness, if there's such a word. How does the devil do it? Joe Cruz called it creeping compromise, a slippery slope. He doesn't give you a whole lot of it all at once. It's just a little bit at a time. And, he, and you become kind of immunized against it, something that once was revolting to American society. That's why there were laws on pretty much every book in every city, county, state in the country against sodomy and homosexuality. All of those laws now are having to be repealed or ignored. And instead, the laws that are being pushed right now, Massachusetts New, New Jer- and New Jersey, Hawaii, Ca- California, Oregon, Washington, some of the more left-leaning states, Many of them are now pushing for gay marriage. How do you go from what we had in the 70s to gay marriage? 30 years and you have a huge jump in thought. How do you do it if you're the devil? Television. It is like a nuclear bomb in destroying a society. Television can do, has the power to do that. Countless hours are wasted that could have been spent doing God's work and praying others for a second time coming. I'll put that in just because even if you're watching the animal planet and learning all about these little, what are those things in South Africa? They, they have the show now, the little, um, I forget the name of the thing, uh, little bear cat, what, meerkat. They got a whole soap opera with the meerkats. Actually, very interesting, and I learned a lot. I watch it at the hospital some nights. But even if all you do, well, I'm on call, I get to watch animal planet. If all you do is watch Animal Planet and History Channel and Discovery, which are good, often you can learn a whole lot. If that's all you do, you still waste the time. And Ellen White says that you will be accountable for two things, your time and your money. And your, well, time, money, and influence you'll be accountable for. But she says when you want to see where someone's heart really is, you know you can judge it by where they spend their time and where they spend their money. So you don't, even if it's a good thing, you can't sit there and watch it. Even, even 3ABN, you, you sit there and watch that 24 hours a day, and they'll evict you, evict you from your apartment. Amen. And I always tell about my little cousins when they were little, and they'd love to watch um, Cartoon Network or whatever cartoon was on. And they'd be sitting there, one hand on their chin like this, laying on the floor, feet up in the air, watching this TV five times their own size. And they're watching it. And my aunt would say, Michael, Javaris, time for dinner. What do they do? They don't even budge, nothing. So Aunt Joan being old school, she'd take off her shoe and throw it across the room. She's a pretty good shot. Bam, hit the kid in the head. And his head would just bounce out of place, pop back into place. he just keep watching television. <laughs> so there are those who define hypnotism and being in a trance, define it by time compression. Anytime you do something and when you're done, you, you lose time. In other words, you say, man, has, it been, has that movie really been on for two hours? Is it two hours done already? That it's a form of hypnotism. In other words, you lose one, of, one aspect of your sense, your sense of time. And that is a form of hypnotism. So every time we sit in front of television and you lose that sense of time or a movie, to some extent, you, you've, you're, it's a sign that your guard has been let down because you're not aware of time. If you're not aware of something as obvious as time, what else might you not be aware of? And if you're not aware of that, then 
what messages could be subliminally or even directly slipped into your head. Children have a hard time telling reality from fantasy. And I always tell a story about this fox in the box this one psychologist did. They put a, they put a, play, uh, they, they, they put a box in the room and told the kids there's a fox in the box, there's a fox in the box. Went on and on and on about this fox being in the box, two six-year-olds. The psychologist, before leaving the room, gets up, opens the box, shows the kids that there's no fox in the box, shuts the box and walks out of the room. The majority of six-year-olds, as soon as the teacher leaves the room, what do they say? Ooh, there's a fox in the box. Children don't have the same ability to process reality. So even when we sit and explain reality to them, so you say, well, Tom didn't really blow up Jerry. You know, you guys remember Tom and Jerry, right? Okay, good. Tom didn't really blow up Jerry or, or the coyote didn't really get blown up. It doesn't matter to some extent. The child can't fully differentiate the reality. And I have a theory, I'll probably never test, but I have a theory that all of those seemingly harmless, violent cartoons of the 40s, 50s, 60s, Tom and Jerry, the coyote, the roadrunner, Bugs Bunny, may have actually affected the level of violence in society today, especially in the backdrop of everything else that changed. Right? For the, for the first time in human history, violence was comical to children. There was never a time in human history when violence made millions of children laugh all at once. So can we exclude the idea that possibly you'd be more likely to shoot someone if you or, or blow someone up if that's what you watched all your life? I don't know if you can exclude that possibility. Satan uses the above to counter-educate and desensitize our children. And our children are very desensitized. Very desensitized. The brain is not developed when you watch television. No processing, no sharpening of the mind because there's no imagination. When I was growing up, we, you know, a lot of times we had to make toys. You know, my mother didn't have money to buy stuff, so we, we came up with the Walsh version of it. We, we created something similar. I was in Jamaica, and I was walking through a part of Jamaica, a poor part of Jamaica, Almond Town, and the little kids took milk boxes and put wheels on them and put windshields on them and put antennas on them and drew doors on them and had a string, and the little kid is just so proud pulling a milk box down the street. They wonder why kids come from other countries and do well in America, because a lot of them have never watched that much television. And their minds have been maximized in just being imaginative. Something that American kids used to do. And that's why the first generation of immigrants often don't do much better than children, American children that have been here forever. Time is compressed. We talked about that. More valuable means of receiving information become boarding, reading, or church services. You wonder why kids can't sit through a church service, why all these kids are diagnosed with ADHD and ADD and all this other stuff. Well, how, do you, how does Mrs. Jones, think back to your kindergarten or first grade teacher. How could they possibly compete with the television shows kids watch now. How interesting, if you watch the Fantastic Four, Batman, all this stuff all night, and you go to class the next day, and a 45-year-old woman who's not very happy with her salary is the person standing in front of you. She's probably not going to be nearly as entertaining as watching Nickelodeon, and they're getting green goose sprayed all over people and all this. It's just not going to happen. So now all of a sudden kids won't sit still. Well, that's because everything about television changes every 5 to 20 seconds. So if you're used to watching something where everything changes every 5 to 20 seconds, and now they expect you to sit for six hours and watch Mrs. Jones, it just doesn't work well. And so now we put them on Ritalin and all the other stuff we put them on. Could it be? Is it inconceivable that maybe the, the combination of high sugar breakfast with television 
is too much for a, ch- a child's mind. Physically seizures, there were Pokemon was showing in Japan, and Pokemon mon means pocket monsters. It's actually a show about demons, but I'll, I'll get into maybe another time we'll talk about that. But while all of these kids on the island of Japan were watching this cartoon, they had a mass influx of children to the emergency rooms in Japan where multiple children at once, hundreds of children at once, began to have seizures. The television, the, the, the show was so exciting, the music and the sound and the light was all so exciting, the children actually had seizures. This was documented. I should find it and put it up there. But it was documented. It caused seizures. So when that show came to America, one of the things they did was they changed the number of frames that played because television really is still moving pictures. And so they can add and subtract a lot without you even knowing it by adding frames and deleting frames. You heard about subliminal seduction. When we were younger, they talked about, if you go to the movies, that's how they scared us from going to the movies. If you go to the movies, every 13th frame is going to say the devil wants you or you want the devil. And so don't go to the movies because if you do that, you're going to want the devil at the end of the show. Right? And so they scared us with stuff like that. But there's a little bit of truth to that in that you really can slip subliminal messages into television and movies. And it's been outlawed. It's against the law because it works. All right. This is another great quote by Jesus. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart or in his mind. One of the greatest uh, diseases affecting America today is the disease of pornography addiction, pornographic addiction. They just had a sting yesterday of, I don't remember how many, like 1,400 men or people, I don't know if they're all men, uh, connected to a pornography ring. Like the battery and this is going out. All uh, 1,400. Jesus says, if you just look at something and are sexually involved by looking, you've sinned. So if you look at a woman and your mind goes from the woman and takes you to the act of sex with that woman, men, or vice versa for the women, you've sinned. Powerful. Now, E.E. E. Cleveland, I don't know how many of you know who E.E. Cleveland is. He was one of my professors at Oakwood College. Guy's brilliant comic genius as well as a preaching genius. He said one day in class called Dynamics of Christian Living that I took at Oakwood, he said one day, if you look at the woman the first time, and I won't try and imitate his accent, if you look at the woman the first time, it's okay. You can look once. He said, but the second look is sin. And all of everybody in class was like, oh, okay. He said, so make the first look long and hard. <laughs> But he's playing a joke on this text. Realistically, looking is how we look at things. And that's one of the reasons why so much of the imagery in the magazines and on television are so sexual. Truthfully, much of what we watch on television is soft pornography. Or what is shown on television. I'll say what we watch. And there was a, tomorrow I'm going to show a, a, a picture of um, Paris Hilton, just from the, the neck up, and uh, from a commercial that she did. And it was pure, soft pornography. Because the devil wants to suck you in with this stuff. It is ve- pornography is very addictive. There was one study that showed that one out of every, oh no, 40% of every pastor that they polled in this poll said they had a problem with internet addiction, or internet pornography. They had an internet pornography addiction. 40% of the pastors they polled. That's the pastors. That's not good when the pastors have 40% of a problem. And I write here, our, ch- our children are over-sexualized at very young ages, leading to corrupt minds on the issue of romance and intimacy. So to me, even when you look at um, Disney and you look at like Pocahontas or you look at um, Beauty and the Beast, these are profound love stories. 
Should a three-year-old girl really be watching it? Think about that for a second. Is it too much? So then she grows up with these false ideas of marriage and romance. You know, they're still waiting for Prince Charming. Only Charles shows up. Chuck shows up. No, Prince Charming never shows up. Chuck keeps waiting, waiting, looking around. He has no horse. He does not ride a horse. He never shows up on a horse. Right? A poor computer, I'm telling you. All right. So, Satan's magic wand. Ancient England had Merlin's magic wand. Merlin used to go out into the forest, they say, and make these magic wands. I got this off of some old video I saw. And at Christmas time, we sing Decto Halls with Balls of Holly. So, the tree that he would go out and get is from the holly plant, the holly tree, and he'd make his magic wand out of Hollywood. Hollywood is still Satan's magic wand. And that's why holly is magical. That's one of the reasons why they use it at Christmas time. And Disney is the new magic kingdom. I have whole talks on Disney and stuff that Disney does. Uh, I'll save you from that. But messages of the new age and their cult are tied to cartoons. Like in The Lion King, right? You send your child to Adventist Academy to teach them that when they die, when people die, they're dead, they're asleep. Jesus comes, resurrects them, and takes them to heaven. You watch one episode, one Lion King movie, the, guy, the kid's father, Simba, I think the kid's name is, his father dies. His uncle kills his father, technically. His father dies. Rafiki, this voodoo uh, monkey, which does real voodoo. He really throws stones. If you've ever been to a place where they really do voodoo, he's doing real voodoo in the cartoon. He does throws the stones and the bones and does all this stuff and convinces him to go with him. He takes him with him, and his dead father appears alive speaking in the sky. So all your money you spent on Academy may have just gone up in smoke. Because here's a powerful message to the opposite of what you've been teaching your child all their life. Okay, Revelation 22, 14, 15 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. For without are dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Notice that making the lie isn't the only, one, only thing that gets you in trouble. Loving the lie that someone else made will get you in trouble. So once upon a time, Adventists did not go to the movies. Now members make social events out of the Devil's Great Outreach Program. That's what I call the movies because there's no way that the devil ever got so many people in one place to be indoctrinated with all kinds of crazy stuff. We pay for the lies. And will the lies of television and movies keep you out of the New Jerusalem? Now, one of the reasons I don't go to the movies is because of the price. I find it just wrong to pay that much money for anything that's only going to last for two hours. So I don't go to the movies. But a lot of people do. Our churches are very different than when I was growing up. Our church was very conservative now, and I look back. Because going to the movies, drinking Coca-Cola was like just for, so forbidden. I mean, I thought if I drank Coca-Cola, I'd just like fall over and die the way that they talked about it. But today, everybody seems like we all just drink Coca-Cola. I mean, nobody even thinks about it anymore. And I, we can argue that in another scenario. But I think what has happened is our guard has really been let down. And with it letting down our guard, we've let in a lot of bad stuff that the whole, you know, that was the whole point that we protect ourselves against. And one of the big things that happened is that the, the VCR and not a DVD and home theaters brought Hollywood home. So you don't have to go to movies anymore. You can watch all the stuff right in the comfort of your own home. Our money still supports um, unholy industry bent on negating the word of God. I believe Hollywood is diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. 99% of what they're going to put out is diametrically, completely opposed to God's kingdom. 
And the one or two good movies that slip through are probably more so that you just keep watching the other 99%. Wherefore do you spend for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Why do we do it? You know, if they make Star they can't just make Star Wars. They got to make The Empire Strikes Back. Then they got to make The Return of the Jedi. Well, that's not good enough. Then they got to go back and make a prequel. The Bible's the same. God doesn't have to invent a prequel to the Bible or a, a, he hasn't made anything after the Bible. The Bible's the Bible all by itself. And that's important. It's real. It's real history. It's real, uh, real divine material. But God doesn't have to update the Bible every so many years. Now, people are trying to do that to water down the Bible, to mess up the Bible. And that's one of the reasons why there's the Book of Mormon. That's why the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible. That's why there's a catechism, on and on and on. There are a lot of people who are trying to make a sequel to the Bible. But the Bible's enough all by itself. The Word of God speaks to what the Christian will watch. Let me go through these real quick. I'm sorry. Psalms 101 and 3. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Imagine if that was a rule you'd use before you turn on the television. Turn away mine eye from beholding vanity, uh, David says. In Job 31 and verse 1, one of my favorite texts, Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon the maid? Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. That's powerful scripture. He made a covenant. I will not put my eyes. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not watch pornography. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I will not watch those things that defile God. I don't need to see the, um, the, the, what was the code? The, um, the Da Vinci code. I don't have to see it. I don't have to explain away by watching it that Jesus didn't marry Mary. I know Jesus didn't marry Mary, right? I know they don't have a kid. I know none of that happened. So I don't need to watch the movie so I can turn around and prove it didn't happen. The proof is in the Bible. All right. So music, universal language. The Bible says that God will sing to us in heaven. Zephaniah 3 and verse 17. I can't wait to hear God sing. I'm sure people like Michael Jackson and Prince and all these other people. But I want to hear God sing. That's who I want to hear sing. The last two Psalms tell us to praise the Lord with music. And music is a key component of the Christian experience, bridging reason and emotion. So I don't think throwing music out. You know there are denominations that you can't have instruments in the church of any kind? So there are extremes to this. You couldn't have anything. Everything is, I guess everything is a cappella. That must be pretty bad if you get a group of people who can't sing, though. Um, but really, I mean, that's true. It wouldn't be that good. So between 7th and 12th grades, youth listen to and watch roughly 11,000 hours of music and videos. Rap and rock have more smoking and alcohol in their videos, just to show you that they try and set trends. So Lucifer was the choir director in heaven. That's the way I like to describe him. One of the things that he did, and has special musical ability. If you look at Ezekiel 20 and 13, it talks about that he was made with pipes and tabrets. He is, he is a musical being. Why? Because he was the cherubim that covered. Can you imagine Satan when he would, he would lay over God? And that light would come on him. The Bible says every precious stone he was covered in. So all of that light, you know, stones reflect light and absorb light. And each of those little stones would take the Shekinah glory light of God. When Satan would go away from God, he would still have the shine coming off of him because of these jewels. And I would imagine there might have even been angels that would see the light and just bow because they recognized it as God's light. And somewhere in the process, Satan began to confuse adoration for God with adoration for him. Somewhere in the process, he began to believe he was equal with God. Till he finally began to say, I will be bigger than God. I will be more than God. 
I don't know if you can imagine that, but he did it. Music is an ideal way for the devil to imprint lies and half-truths into our subconscious. While we are foolish if we think Satan is not going to use music against us, even so-called gospel music. Now, this is for when I'm in the hood, so I'll add contemporary Christian music as well. We, there are songs I hear on KSGN sometimes, and I, and I have to stop and say, it didn't say God, it didn't say Jesus. So who was it singing? What was it singing about? And I'm, there are good songs on KSGN, don't get me wrong, but I'm just the, the reality is there are songs that are made in a contemporary way. You know, there was an old, one old one from when, like, we were in high, when I was in high school, Go West, Young Man. Go West, Young Man. Go West? All of us? The whole East Coast? What about the people on the West Coast? The song didn't even make any sense. I don't know, maybe I should go back and look at the lyrics, but I don't know how that's a worship. I still don't get that, that, that concept. So Barry Manilow had a song, I Write the Songs. He says, I write the songs that make the whole world sing. I write the song of love, songs of love and special things. I write the songs that make the young girls cry. I write the songs, I write the songs. Turns out Barry Manilow, from what I understand, was a devil worshiper. And Lucifer was the, actually the one writing that song. It was the devil who was saying, I write the songs that make the whole world sing. I write the song of love and special things. I write the songs that make the young girls cry. I write the songs, I write the songs. So Barry Manilow was his instrument. Marilyn Manson and his large following. You guys know who this guy is? He is scary, he's scary personified. They should just put his picture in the dictionary next to the word frightening. Um, but he is a high elder in the church of Satan from what I understand. And you know, I think I might even have an image of him tomorrow, but these people, and he put his name Marilyn Manson because he wanted to be famous like Marilyn Monroe. So he took a woman's name so he, and he's androgynous. You know, he, he's kind of a shim, a she, him, you, you can't really tell. So he took Marilyn, and then his last name is Manson, after Charles Manson. So he takes a serial killer and ties it to a beautiful movie star because he wants both aspects of it. And, the, and I don't know if you know this, but we're, they're finding that more and more serial killers and the stuff that is famous, people want fame so bad, some of them say, you know what, I'll resort to murder to get it. That's crazy. Um, even rap is openly satanic now. DMX has a lyric where he says, I sold my soul to the devil and the price is cheap. I'm living life on this level and it's twice as deep. He said he sold his soul to the devil? He did what? You know, there was a time when if you, you know, if, if back in the 50s, if, the song, if a song said that, that pretty much would have been the end of that person's career. He can say that now and kids come to me, you know, he's really spiritual. He prays at the end of his album. I'm like, who is he praying to? He sold his soul already. It's too late. We got Eminem. Eminem curses his own mother. I mean, how low can you go? And there's groups like the Gravediggers, Flatliners, on and on and on. Jay-Z, who wants to be worshipped. Jay-Z has a song where he says, I am Jehovah, God MC. And his song is H to the Izzo, V to the Izzo, and all the kids put their hand. Gets the anthem, gets your hands up. And what he's really saying is, I'm Jehovah God, because he's a five percenter. And I could get into that more, but it's a religion that teaches young men that they are God based on their race. Black, uh, backmasking has long been revealed, subliminal message against God. They, at Oakwood College, they had a whole thing. Oakwood was a very interesting place, actually. They played all kinds of songs backwards. It scared all of us to death is all they did, really. Satan is getting, setting a gospel music trap, and you can put in Christian, contemporary Christian music trap. By bringing the music of the world into the church, he hopes to keep the old flesh alive. I believe that some of the beats and, and stuff that when they bring it in, and it's a, oh, I mean, they literally now are playing, I don't know how many of you know who Parliament Funkadelic is and Bootsy Collins, 
But that's the basis of most of the black music you hear today, all out of the 70s. I've been in churches where they literally go back and play Sly and the Family Stone, literally play the exact song. I want to thank you for letting me be myself again. And the church is worshiping and praising to a funk song. The whole church. Now, there are shades of gray, yes. That's black and white. The guy who wrote it came out and said how they could play this in church, I don't know. He said, we got high on heroin for 10 days to come up with those lyrics. I could go on and on. Songs like Reasons, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire being a pagan, old pagan group as well. They, reasons, people sang that at their wedding. The reasons, the reason that we're here. He said, how could, the guy said, I don't know why anybody would sing that at their wedding. It's a song about not wanting to be together. He's given the reasons they shouldn't be together. So you just cursed your marriage on the first night, right? I mean, on and on and on. People don't even listen to what they're listening to. And it's in the church, inside of the church. Kirk Franklin is mastered. He takes songs and he just basically changes a few words and turns them into gospel songs. But what that does is if you were in the nightclubs when that song was popular the first time, and it's now playing during praise and worship service, you start to move. You are really not moving because the Holy Spirit's making you move. You're moving because your mind has been transported back into the world. So how else can the devil really kind of inject your old life? I mean, how powerful is that sophistry? Inject pieces of your old life back into you. So out on campus here, I hear this somewhere on campus that they actually play like hard rock and roll in one of the Sabbath school classes. I haven't been there. Maybe I should go. But I don't really like hard rock and roll. But I'm telling you, you can use that. You can play old Van Halen, old Metallica. And you can change the words. Sandman. You can say Jesus man. Right? You can play old songs and turn them into Christian songs. Does it make it Christian? No. No more than driving a tractor into your garage makes it a car. Doesn't work. Satan also seeks to pervert and erase Bible doctrine with theories that sell records. And I can tell you, Christian song after Christian song that is doctrinally incorrect. Completely. One of them is Larnell Harris. I actually met Larnell Harris once. He had a song, I've got friends in high places, so high but not so far away. It was about dead people going to heaven and becoming angels and working in heaven on your behalf. That's what that song was about. And I was at Oakland College when that came out. And the pastor of the church at the time, who's now deceased, Pastor E.C. Ward, who was a soldier in the army of God, called the radio station the first time he heard it from his house at like 11 o'clock at night and told him to take the record off mid-record because it's Catholic doctrine. Why are you playing that on our Adventist radio station? And he, they had to take it off. Never heard the song again. That's the only time I ever heard the song. Matthew 7, 6, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. You can't just turn stuff holy by just dressing it up in Christianity. That, that's what got us in the mess that the church is in in the first place. A priest have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. God does not expect that we take unholy things and try and wash them off and then serve them. No more than he expects you to take pigs and somehow veganize them and then serve them. Doesn't work. So in Satan's world, no popularity without his approval and many will sell their souls in order to sell records. And I can tell you, I went to Oakland College with a guy named Brian McKnight. 
I don't know how many of you know who Brian McKnight is. Much of the talent in the secular world comes out of uh, black Adventism. I don't know if you guys know that. Much of the rappers went to our academies. Tribe Called Quest, um, I could name um, um, TLC, um, Buster Rhymes. I mean, I could name a ton of people who were raised Seventh-day Adventist or a part of their lives they were in a Seventh-day Adventist church and I'm big movie music stars. One of them is Brian McKnight who went to Oakwood with me. I went to, he was in one of my classes. And Brian McKnight left Oakwood and went and got a record deal. And the first time I heard him sing was for AY on a Friday night like this. I walked into Moran Hall at Oakwood College and I sat there. I, I wasn't very Christian at the time. I was, I was in public high school going to clubs every Friday and Saturday night. I got to Oakwood and this guy sang a song by commission. I'm running back to you. I see you standing there for me. Your arms are open wide. He sang this, and man, I never felt anything like it, and I gave my life to the Lord. I remember that song clearly. And then to watch him make records about adultery and ghosts and all kinds of crazy stuff, it hurts me because he had the potential. Imagine him in a tent effort singing while somebody was preaching the gospel with power. He was that much of a talent, but the devil swiped him away. And there's a lot more I could say, but there are many people who will sell this. They won't maybe not sell their souls by doing the old stick their finger and writing blood on some paper while the devil sits there and receives the paper. But if you want to be famous enough, the devil will get you. And you'll compromise, reject your family, reject your beliefs. But unlike musical instruments, music itself is not neutral. Music has the ability to bypass the frontal lobe, directly affecting the autonomic nervous system and therefore the entire body. It does this by working on the thalamus. Um, subliminal message can be imprinted in the subconscious and affect us without our conscious even knowing it. Um, the Bible refers to demons as stars. This is one of the things that's interesting, the fallen angels. So well, that's one of the reasons why I think there's this big push to be a star. star. And people don't want to be stars anymore. They want to be superstars. They want to star on the walk of fame. Being a star on earth means you're a fallen angel, according to scripture. And I believe the demons work through a lot of the celebrities. I believe that after reading Roger Renault's book, A Trip into the Supernatural. Many begin to idolize their favorite performer. I remember being in school in junior high, and Michael Jackson's Thriller was the number one record of all times, 46 million sales. They can't even do that now because people download stuff for free. But um, technology backfired on them, that one. So now those girls would come to school. They would have Michael Jackson pins from their neck to their feet. They'd be covered. Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson, a couple new additions, mainly Michael Jackson. And I remember girls saying, I'm going to marry Michael Jackson. And I'd say, girl, you won't even meet Michael Jackson. <laughs> and now look at Michael Jackson. I was right. <laughs> but I mean, they worship, I mean, people worship him. You go into little girls' rooms and they got posters of all these people. Like, what are the spiritual consequences? Putting all these strange people's pictures up on your wall. The first thing you see in the morning and the last thing you see at night. Could it be that having that stuff up on your wall affects you spiritually? I wonder. I think it can. We get crushes on people we don't even know. You know, you got a crush on Beyonce. Well, you might as well give that one up, buddy. Lyrics to entire CDs are memorized while only getting average grades in school and could not recite a single passage of scripture. So I had a mother come to me once. I think I was in New York someplace, like, like in, um, um, up in the northern part of the city, either in the Bronx or, or just up from the Bronx. And I was at a church, and a lady came to me and said, Pastor, you got to talk to my son. He's flunking out of school. He's, you know, he's, he's dressing really strange. He's, he's growing dreadlocks. I said, man, I don't want to talk to this juvenile delinquent. 
I said, all right, I'll talk to your son. You know, I'm just preached all day and I'm going to counsel some wannabe thug, right? So I meet the kid. He sits down with me. He's like, hey, man, what's up, man? What's, what's up, man? All right, cooling. I said, all right, buddy, listen. I said, uh, your mother's worried about you. Let's just cut this to the chase. Your mother's worried about you. She thinks you're going to flunk out of school and become a nobody. He's like, no, no, no. Mom's got it all wrong. Mom's got it all wrong. I'm going to be a rapper. I'm going to be a star. I said, you going to be a rapper and a star? I said, I'll tell you what, son, rap for me. He starts, I said, son, sit down, sit down, boy, sit down, sit down, man, you're going to hurt yourself. I said, who's your favorite rapper, DMX? I said, what does DMX sing? And he could recite any DMX song, because DMX is from that area, off the top of his head, any song. You name the song, he'd recite you the whole song. I said, son, sit here. I need to talk to your mother. I went and found his mother. I said, mom, I got a problem. Really, you got a problem. There's actually nothing wrong with your boy's brain. It works just fine. He can recite entire albums. The problem is he's studying the wrong thing. As long as all he does is listen to the music, he'll forever be able to only recite the music. He sits there and has to do geometry, and he can't do it because all that comes to his mind is lyrics. Your son is preferentially the bible says study to show yourself approved unto god second timothy 2 15 i believe that is right rightly dividing the word of truth you can everything we do we study every television program every song we listen to we studied our brain is so complex that we digest it over and over again we store it away forever just because you can't always call it up when you want it doesn't mean it's not up there we store it forever your son is wasting valuable brain space. And looking at the boy, he ain't got a lot left. <laughs> you're going to need to get the boy off of weed. That's probably the part you're just denying. The fact that he's smoking whole trees worth of weed. And get him concentrating on the stuff that is of God. Which means, mother, you're going to have to parent. You're actually going to have to make rules in your home. You see, the fifth commandment works both ways. I always tell parents this. The Bible says, honor your mother and father that your days may be long on the land, in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And we always say, that's the child's burden. The child needs to do whatever their parents say. I say it's the parent's burden as well. Because the parent must give the child something to honor. So if you have a home without any boundaries or rules. I couldn't play rap music when I was growing up in my house. We snuck and listened to rap music. We snuck and did all kinds of stuff. And I had a, my mother was a single mother, so we got away with it more times than we should have. But you, she had rules. I didn't have friends coming in and out of my house eating our food. My mother wouldn't buy any more. <laughs> you would just, nobody would eat weeks at a time if we did that. But nowadays, I see mothers and they're like, well, you know, I was cleaning up Johnny's room and I found, well, hold on, before you tell me what you found in the dirty boy's room, what are you doing cleaning a 15-year-old boy's room? You got a grown boy. You're going to send him to college and who's you're going to fly to, you know, <laughs> uh, CUC, AUC, you're going to fly there every week and clean his room? Parents have to give kids boundaries. We live in a time when you, kids just do whatever they want. And we call it love. It is the antithesis of real love. To the law and to the testimony, the scripture says, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. I had many Adventists come to me, black Adventists especially, when, when Farrakhan was the big thing, and want us to get into Farrakhan. And I would say, 
all of his political rhetoric that you even agree with, when he steps out of that into the spiritual and begins to speak about Elijah Muhammad as being a prophet and, and Fard Muhammad as being God and all this other stuff, how do you reconcile that with that scripture? How do you do it? If they just go just off of God's word, just, just barely off of the path, that scripture is a scripture that's supposed to keep us on course. Because what that says is even if 70% of what they do or say is good, you don't follow them because all of it has to represent God. Because the devil, I don't think the devil very often tells a complete lie. He tells partial lies. That's how he gets us. He puts together pieces of lies and we follow him into the pit over the pieces. So rap music, let me see. But son, vain and profane babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. When I talk to youth a lot, I tell them about that text. Nothing is more vain. I got a color TV so I can see the Knicks play basketball. I'm the man, I'm the Mac, I'm the pimp, I'm the player, I'm the everything in the world except a sensible, responsible person. Right? There's a song, you know the Academy Award was won last year by a rap song for, in a movie called Hustle and Flow. First black person to win, first black group to win an Academy Award for favorite song or main song, I don't know what the award is, it was the song award. I don't think Diana Ross won one for Lady Sings the Blues. They won one for a song entitled, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. It's what? It should be, number one. And you shouldn't be winning awards for that. But they did. And the scripture makes it clear. Shun vain and profane babblings. If it's vain and profane, you shouldn't be listening to it. That sums up most modern secular music in one verse right there. What will it lead to? More ungodliness. You want to know why conditions in the cities get worse? Why there's more violence, more rape, more everything? Because they're being fueled. The music acts to me like an enzyme. It's like a catalyst. It makes the threshold for righteousness much, much lower. And it works to destroy whole communities all at once. Christians should leave this music alone. And parents must be parents. I talked about that already. Can music be positive without Christ? And the public enemy, Bob Marley, and I used to stay at Bob Marley's house. I, don't know, I used to stay over there. After he died, I used to hang out with his mother and brothers. I know Ziggy and Damien. I went to school with Rowan and his brother. Um, what was his brother that got shot in the back? Anthony. All of them. I used to be there. Those guys smoke a lot of weed. A lot of it. I mean, more weed than you even know exists in one place but it's positive you know he sings all these positive songs but as part of his music is trying to convince you to worship a dead ethiopian emperor named Haley selassie or rastafari that's why they call themselves rastafarians until i came to california i had never met a blonde haired blue-eyed rastafarian i met one in clinic and i was like you're a rastafarian scratch my head well do you realize the whole point of the religion is to go back to africa right have you ever been to Africa? <laughs> Where are you going back to? Then I met two Mexican Rastafarians. <laughs> that one was a trip. Well, I was like, dude, where you, I mean, Mexico's not that far. You, you'd be better off going home to Mexico than Africa. But that's the power of music. The power of music to convince people that music was made to, as a revolutionary force against British colonialism. That's what his music was made to do. And you pick it up and listen to it and believe it. It doesn't make any sense. That's the power of music. We are the world by Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson. We are the world. We are the ones that make a brighter day, just you and me. Notice we are the ones that fix the world. Nah, Jesus is going to fix the world. 
But there's a line in the song, I'm going to put it up here. It says, like God has shown us by changing stone to bread, it's true we make a better day just you and me. Did Jesus ever change stone to bread? If Jesus had turned the stone to bread, we would have no hope at salvation. Isn't it interesting that they say God showed us this and then say that we can make a better way? The devil wrote this song. The devil's still mad that Jesus didn't turn the stone into bread. Isn't that powerful? I've heard this song sung in choir lofts in churches. And it is anti-Christian. Just by this one text, this one verse. All right, violence in the media. He that, uh, I'll skip all this. Let me get to the end. All right, so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is, at Oakwood is when I said, okay, I'm never gonna, I'm gonna stop listening to secular music, period. Because I figured, you can listen to religious music on Sabbath, and then the rest of the week, you can listen to secular music. But I quickly learned it was hard to stop the secular music from bouncing around in my head all day on Sabbath. And until I switched over and only listened to Christian music all week, that was when the only, you know, the finally it's playing out. And to this day, I hear one word of an old song, and it comes right back. And that annoys me. I wish I didn't have it in my head, but it's still there. Nothing we choose to listen to should go contrary to God's word. How to be a wise listener? First and foremost, evaluate the lyrics. How do the words compare to God's word? Nirvana. Look at the words to Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Those some crazy lyrics. Well, he's probably high on something when he wrote them, but very, very strange lyrics. You don't listen. If the lyrics don't work, what's the point of the rest of the song? Secondly, evaluate your emotional response. How does the beat and melody make you feel? So there's a rap song called by DMX that says, y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here, up in here. So... Okay, let's take the let's make the try the instrumental version. I'm telling you, even without the words, kids start bouncing around and banging up against walls and wanting to fight. How does the music make you feel? Here's an example. Much of the new contemporary gospel music is very romantic. It's like ballady. It's it's real sweet, soft. BB Winans does a lot of this kind of stuff. Often he doesn't say Jesus or God in his songs either. But my thing is, if the music moves you into a romantic state of mind. If it's so romancy, you know, and that's what it does for you, why would you listen to it? And here's an example. I got this actually off of one of the amazing facts tapes, one of the guys talking about music. He said, if, you, if a guy takes a girl out on a date, right, would you play army drum music in the car to and from the place you're going on a date? The guy would say no, because you wouldn't set the right mood. What would you play? Most guys would say Luther Vandross. Why? It sets the mood. The point being, music by itself, take away the lyrics, sets a mood. How much, no, here's the other piece. Does that then translate inside of the walls of the church? Does the type of music, the sound, the melody, the beats, does it still set a mood inside of church? Of course it does. So that's why we have to be very careful what we play inside of church. And I'm telling you, I've been at my church, Rubido, it, there's a major music issue. I'm, I don't mind saying it. And I preach about it even in the pulpit at the church. Probably why I haven't preached there since May. But um, I do. I have to say it because I'm telling you, they sing songs that when the song is played, people are literally jamming. They're dancing. It's like being in a nightclub. They actually start calling the church Club Rubido. Literally. Why? Because the music is just so good. And some of the music is, is wonderful. But the devil is slick. 
And when you're ready for the appeal and for someone to come and give their life to God, what do you think the band does? The hired, paid, full band. Jay Leno doesn't have a band as good as ours, right? What happens? They start messing with you, playing stuff, upbeat music, messes up the mood at the time when people would be making their decision for God. But balance your thinking, difference of opinions. Everyone may not like your favorite type of music. Be tolerant of the taste of others. The truth of the matter, matter is, there's classical music that was not written to honor God. That's the reality of it. There are bar songs that have become hymns. That's true. But where we are, to me, is you look at it for what it is now. Look at the, through the hymns. I've seen people say the hymns, most of the hymns, are, I see people say you shouldn't sing hymns. On both sides, I see people say you shouldn't sing hymns because they're boring, so they sing rock and roll or funk and rap in church. There are people say the hymns aren't any good, so they're only going to sing scripture songs. Somebody want to get rid of the hymns. Let me tell you, the hymns are powerful. And I've read books on how the hymns are written. And obviously, the, there's not every hymn is as good as every other hymn. And some of the hymns even may even lean to some Catholic doctrine. Somebody showed me a couple of hymns. I'm telling you, when you read a song like, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear, What a Privilege to Carry Everything to God in Prayer. The, the lyrics are profound. The modern praise songs are usually, they call it 7-Eleven. Seven songs, and seven words, and you say them 11 times, right? You say the same stuff over and over and over again, right? We worship you. We were, our church will worship you to your weakness, to you uh, buckling, falling over. We were, and they'll just keep going higher. We worship, we worship. Okay, we get it. We worship him. Why do we worship him? What is the doctrine that we believe around worshiping him? You know, one of the things the devil really want to get rid of, according to the Vatican Council, you go back and read the Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council, when they introduced a lot of these things, they were saying they were going to introduce a lot of these things into, into Protestant churches. When you read it, one of the things they say is they wanted to do away with the ability for you to share doctrine in song. The hymns still do that. When you sing holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed trinity, you get a doctrine. When you say day is dying in the West, or, or, or the other Sabbath songs, the doctrine of the Sabbath is there. When we sing certain songs at funerals, they reinforce our belief that the dead are asleep. The modern songs have no doctrinal basis. And even though some of them are awesome good songs, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking them all. But if you, in, our church did away with hymns. I was, I, I couldn't even fathom that. I'm like, the time of trouble is going to come. And our youth are going to just be able to say, we worship you, we they're not going to, uh, you know, because at that time, I'm going to need, this, there's going to be some other songs I'm going to need. That's not going to be enough for me. I'm going to need to know he's my friend. I'm going to need to know that he, he's going to be there no matter what. I'm going to need trust and obey. I'm going to need those songs. You know, just, we worship you. Now, remember, at that time, the devil would have come on earth and is impersonating Jesus. How easily those songs would all just turn on Satan, some of them. Don't be afraid to enjoy music. I think that's important. We should sing. And I'll tell you what, I've come to the conclusion. And, and, and I think, honestly, it is better when we sing as a congregation. I'm, I'm learning. And I'm not against choirs. I'm not against soloists. I think, you know, obviously, they all are good things. But I'm learning that the, making one person a star in church is probably not a good idea. 
They're not, you know, there's exceptions. They're great. You know, I have a friend, um, Neville Peters. You ever want some really good Christian music that's now made? He's blind. He was baptized in our church in Miami. He sang at my wedding. Awesome, phenomenal dude. But you listen to his music, go online, www.nevillepeter.com. Awesome Christian music. There's no drums. He only has acoustic guitar and a piano. He's blind. He was offered. I was there. I saw. He was offered multi-million dollar contracts to be the next Stevie Wonder. He turned it down. Once he became a Seventh-day Adventist, he said, I will never, ever write or sing. When I, found, when I met him, he was playing in every nightclub in Miami. He was like the top billing at the nightclubs in a city like Miami. He found the Lord and he said, I will never write or play another song that does not elevate Christ. Never. And he is not wealthy today. You see him on 3ABN, if you ever watch 3ABN, he's on there from time to time. He's not wealthy today, but he is a soldier in the army of God. Oh, no, I'm trying to just, I'm just trying to do what God asked me to do. Just trying to be there for Jesus. Lord, listen, I mean, when I look at where God, where I could have wound up, running the streets of Miami, three and four o'clock in the morning, leaving clubs, the number of my friends that were shot, the number of my friends that were imprisoned, the number of my friends that are buried in cemeteries in South Florida, to, uh, to, to serve God is, is the least when I look at what he rescued me from, he didn't even just rescue me from it. Then he blessed me to be able to finish school and go on to college and go on to medical school. I mean, I, I find, you know, it's humbling to me that God would even, even, even a wretch like me, that's probably the best way to say it, that God would even see me. I, that's why I want our license plate when it just says redeemed. Because I believe he just he redeemed me, snatched me out of this terrible world. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Are you being spoiled? Only a couple more verses. Let me, this is an old one. Now love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And my email address is there. I thought I deleted the National Deacons thing from there. I guess I didn't. Um, what was on the other one? You can put my email down and, and email me as well. I'm here on campus most of the time. Um, but I want to say that I, you know, this is, music has been a big struggle for me. Like I said, I, used to, I was on stage with almost every major reggae artist. I've been on stage with Public Enemy. I've met Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg. In my days when I ran, I really ran. And I can tell you, it's an empty life. Even those stars live their entire lives trying to simply find more stardom. Their whole life, Jennifer Aniston, J-Lo, you name any of these stars, all that matters is that the next day they're popular. Their lives are empty. Most of them are in pain. They're addicted to drugs of all kinds. And it's not just the rappers, almost all of them. Because as they say, if you ever go to the VA and rotate through addiction medicine over the VA, the same, one of my favorite sayings those addicts used to say was, God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. All of earth's fame and wealth can't fill that hole, can't fill the void. And I pray that God would bless each of us, that what we fill our lives with is him and his love and his will and his way so that we aren't chasing pipe dreams when we should be really seeking the kingdom of God first. Amen. I'm going to have a word of prayer and a close. I know it's late and um, many of you have to get the early Sabbath school appointments. I will stay here for a few minutes afterwards. And um, if there's any questions or anything, 
you know, we can talk um, afterwards. But I, I want to do that because I know it's 8.35 on a Friday night. So bow your heads. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your, this opportunity to share. I ask, Lord, that you would convict us of, Lord, what we should expose ourselves to in television and music. Lord, some of us probably shouldn't watch any television. Others of us, Lord, need to really, really uh, hunker down on what we're listening to. Father God, let each of us be convinced in our own minds, not by ourselves, but by your Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God have its way in us, that we would turn off what shouldn't be played, and that, Father God, we would in all things, and even in secret, be faithful to you. Lord, we are humbled by your awesome might and of your mercy. So, Father God, tonight, let us leave this place. Father God, we ask that we would never leave your presence. And that, Father God, we would be worthy to be with you in glory forever. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.